You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Hello, and welcome to Autumn on the Air. Today, we're diving into an important resource in the world of tech transfer, the Autumn Salary Survey. The Autumn Salary Survey serves as an indispensable resource for professionals in the tech transfer field. It provides a comprehensive view of compensation trends, enabling individuals to strategically chart their career trajectories, whether they are in leadership roles, engaged in technology licensing, or involved in the cultivation of startup enterprises. In this episode, we will be discussing the most recent iteration of the survey, the 2022 Salary Survey. This edition incorporates several noteworthy enhancements, including the incorporation of a user-friendly database that empowers users to generate tailored reports to suit their specific needs. Our guest today is John Miner, an assistant director of the Office of Tech Transfer at the University of Central Florida. John's been in tech transfer since 1999, starting as a student assistant. John handles IP portfolios, works with inventors, and builds relationships with industry folks. He's got a Bachelor of Arts in Organization Communications and a Master of Science in Research Administration from UCF. When he's not in the office, you'll find John either tending to his garden or out on the water. Welcome, John. I'm so excited to have you here back on the air. No, thank you for having me again. I'm super excited to talk about uh, the salary survey today. Yeah, I'm always excited to have you on, John, because you're so passionate about these surveys and you're just a wealth of information. So there's a ton here as you and I have been talking about this salary survey. So let's go ahead and jump right in. You know, John, you and I have talked about the autumn licensing survey before, and I know how passionate you are about that survey and its findings. But I understand that the autumn salary survey is particularly near and dear to your heart. Why is that? Um, right. So this was so this was actually my first volunteer experience. Really? In, in 1999, I went to my first annual conference. I was so blown away by autumn and just the, the whole sort of uh, community that was getting involved. I uh, I heard the, the call for volunteer and uh, I just sort of picked the one that was salary survey, right? I figured, well, if this is the career I'm going to be getting into, maybe I should know what people get paid in this kind of career. Um, and that's how it started. So I, I, I started with the 1999 survey, working with like Ashley Stevens and Dana Bostrom, some of the old luminaries of, of Autumn. And I kept up with it. I've done every salary survey since. I participated in them all, ran most of them. Um, oh my and, you gosh. Know, this is one of those things that I am passionate about because this is truly for the members. This yeah. is for the community. Yeah. You know, so much of what we focus on is on, you know, how are we bettering you know, universities or institutions or bettering, you know, humanity, right? But this is something that pays attention to you as an individual, as a professional, and can help you you know, uh, develop your skills, rise and get into newer positions. And and quite frankly, get paid what you should be paid. You know, that's so this is where my passion comes for salary survey. I think it's really important. And quite frankly, not enough people uh, make salaries, 
you know, something that you can talk about openly. You know, there's a lot of sort of hesitation to mention salaries and how much people earn. It's always a sensitive so, topic, right? It is. It is. And in academia, it's it's tough, right? Because some state systems, like I'm, you know, where I'm at, it's public information. Everyone can look up everyone's salary. But, you know, in private uh, uh, institutions, it's not necessarily like that. And certain states have different rules. So I just feel strongly that this is this is really a powerful tool that helps the individual autumn member and even those that aren't autumn members, this is going to bleed out into those institutions and those professions. So, John, it's been a number of years since the last autumn salary survey findings were published. And obviously, given the pandemic, the tech transfer job market changed significantly during that time. Can you talk a little bit about how the new salary survey reflects some of those dynamics? Yes, for sure. And it has been a while, right? 2017 was the last published salary survey. Um, you know, the pandemic hit, it was supposed to come out in 2020, but obviously that wasn't going to happen with the way everything was. And quite frankly, offices were not prepared to, to respond to, to surveys at that time. Um, you know, and as we had uh, discussed in the last uh, podcast about the licensing survey, uh, during that pandemic uh, uh, stretch, we recorded between 20 and 30 percent decline in staffing across all offices that responded to the licensing survey. So huge, huge change in the tech transfer landscape. And, you know, this new survey, uh, the way we've put it out now is we're no longer just pushing out a, a PDF that has, you know, static fields that you can't do anything with. You just got to do your own math, right? No, now we have a, a fully uh, online searchable database that will oh, allow wow. you to benchmark. You can compare against regions. We've even uh, added a new region now, right? We're doing, we have the Southeast as their own region. Wow. Uh, you can compare all the metrics that we had in the old survey, plus a few uh, additional ones, um, you can now do with searching. You can uh, make this accessible and downloadable to your HR group. Um, you know, it's fully exportable. Uh, it'll save this information. So when we do the survey again, all this data will still be in there and you'll be able to reference and compare year to year. Um, so this is a huge change. This That's is a, huge. It's taken a, yeah, it's taken a lot of effort, a lot of effort on the on, on, on autumn staff and everyone to get this to where it is now. Um, and so it, it's going to be, I think, very, I hope, very well received by uh, the folks because it's it's in desperate need. I mean, just everything has changed. And, you know, we'll talk about some of these uh, uh, exciting statistics that we've, we've learned, but this is an extremely usable uh, system now where you're going to get lots of benefit and you're going to be able to share this with your office, with your staff, your HR, your administration. And I, I, like I said, I think this is like a groundbreaking change, a great new direction for where we're going with the, with the surveys and metrics for, for all. That's a huge change. And I think it's also very powerful, not only um, for tech transfer offices, but for tech transfer professionals. And obviously, that's one way that the salary survey differs from the licensing survey. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of the different benefits for these two different audiences in view of this new format, as well as maybe some of the results? Yes, for sure. The, you know, number one, the licensing survey is great. We, we have a really high response rate. I think it was like 57% response rate wow. for the licensing survey. So already we, all the institutions are, are fully bought into the licensing survey. It's a critical tool that we, we publish here at Autumn. Um, you know, the licensing or the salary survey, you know, um, it, 
in, in a sense, it feeds the licensing survey because if you're not paying your staff and you're not able to attract talent um, and retain talent, uh, especially in this new world that we're living, um, you know, you're not going to make those metrics from the licensing survey. So, you know, this directly informs offices on what they should be paying people. What are the comps out there? You know, how do we measure up to others? And now when you consider, um, you know, the remote and the hybrid work environments that we're in, you know, in everyone is seeing, it's completely different. The first question I'm hearing this from, you know, all sorts of folks when I go to the autumn meetings, the first question that applicants are asking is, is this job hybrid or remote? Do I have to come in? Like, that's the number one question now. It's not how much is it, uh, the salary. It's not, you know, uh, what's my office look like? You know, what are my, that kind of stuff. It is, is this hybrid? Can I work remote? Do I have to work in the state? So completely changing, um, you know, how people are looking at this profession, you know? And so uh, I think, and again, just as we saw with the licensing survey, a new format, we, we've added a, a new uh you know, sort of Qualtrics-based platform that you can answer and, and, and record all of your things. Same with the salary survey. It's going to be uh, extremely useful, uh, I think, for many, many offices. Yeah, it sounds like it. And and let's go ahead and, and dig into some of those key findings of this year's salary survey. And the first one you've alluded to already, and I want to ju- just jump right into it, is job turnover. You know, according yeah. to the results of the thousand plus people employed at participating institutions at the time of the survey, remarkably, 46 percent, which was almost half, had been in their current position for three years or less. Did that surprise you? It, you could. Yeah. I mean, I had to pick my job off. The floor because <laughs> I, there's you no, did. I mean, where, where who else sees that kind of turnover in, in what I would consider a historically very stable group. Yeah. You know, if we look back at past surveys and uh, both licensing and salary, we never had turnover like that. Never, ever, ever. And in fact, you know, it's kind of like I'd say like a maybe an inside joke around tech transfer is like directors don't go away. They just come back. You know, now they're consulting and they're exactly they're staying in the family, which is great, you know, because I mean, that level of experience, you just got to have it, especially when you see that almost half of these folks have been in their job for less than three years. That's a crazy number. Right? Who's the mentor? We have to be able right. to, you know, have that, that, that passing of the leadership and the knowledge from the seniors down to the, the juniors. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I never would have expected it at all in, in this. And, and that's why I'm just so happy with this, the outcome of this survey, because who would have, you know, in the past, when we looked at years of experience, um, you know, we basically just said, how many years are you in tech transfer? And we gave you a median salary, right? It didn't say how many people were in those positions, right? It didn't tell me how many people were in the 10 plus category of year, you know, 10 plus years of experience. You know, now we have that data. You can totally track and see the trends of where this is going. Where's our staffing? Um, that one was one of the, just the, the biggest surprises I saw. Um, and then maybe the next one, if I, if you don't mind, I'll jump right to that. Yeah, one, go is, for it. The hybrid, the, the hybrid, hybrid remote. Workplace. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. It, it is definitely not going back the other way, right? It is definitely not going back to everyone is going to be in house anymore. Um, you know, it's out of the 121 institutions, a hundred are hybrid working. 
That's right? incredible. That's, it's crazy. And of that, uh, another 50 of that 100 are primarily remote, meaning just full remote. They're never even going to have to be on campus ever again. And then about the other half of them offer both positions, both hybrid and remote. Um, and that's, this is it. This is the new way it's going to be done. You know, that, that is clear. I do not see this changing. I mean, maybe it'll go down a little bit. We'll see in, in two years when we do this survey again, if people start migrating back into the office a little bit, but it's never going away. That's for sure. No, I don't think so either. And I've heard of some interesting arrangements with tech transfer offices where I know some individuals who live, let's say, in Montana, and uh, they work for a university in North Carolina, and they're required just to be in the office one day a month. So they fly in. um, They actually stay a week. Obviously, that makes it, um, you know, a lot more economical to be there for a week. But yeah, all those new flexibilities in terms of working remotely are just, it's incredible to see things you never would have thought you would ever have seen prior to the pandemic. And all these creative work uh, solutions are are fascinating to see, um, particularly, like you said, in tech transfer. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, this was such a, you know, traditional academic type of, you know, job position where you were here, you're at your institution, I'm, you know, tooling around the labs and meeting faculty. And, you know, now it's, um, yeah, you could be in a, a, you'd be in a different time zone, different states. It's uh, interesting. But you know, and I heard, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, some directors who have said, why do I care where they live? If the best person for this job is in California and I'm in New York, well, don't I want the best person for the job? And if you're okay and you can manage it from this, this hybrid and remote, uh, 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 sort of paradigm, fantastic. You know, now I know certain states have certain rules. You may have to live in the state for tax purposes or what have you, but you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a brave new world out there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I want to go back to another point you mentioned before, and that was leadership, because you were talking about directors and directorship Mm -hmm. um, positions. So I thought it was very interesting that the survey results suggest that tech transfer offices are more likely to look outside of their office to fill these leadership positions, uh, rather than pulling them from other positions. Do you think hiring managers are going to look at this finding and see an opportunity to broaden their reach when filling all tech transfer positions? I think partially, right? I still think that directors, and I think for the most part, directors are more in person, right? It is awfully hard to run a, an office and, and a full team if you're not there in that institution and, and in that state, because you need that director of the office to be engaged with the VPRs, the presidents, you need them to be involved with the upper administration of the university. So I think from a director's position um, and maybe even assistant directors, associate directors, you may see that hiring is still going to be somewhat localized. And, you know, maybe it'll be more of the hybrid, you know, three days in, two days out of the office kind of thing. But I think all the other positions, especially when you're talking about marketing, business patent managers, um, the financial side of the house, in, in my particular office, the financial side, I've, I haven't seen them in three, four years. I see them on Zoom. You know, and that's it. That's that's how that's always going to be. So anyone that's totally inward facing, I think it's probably very unlikely that they'll they'll go back to an office unless they just want to be in an office. But I think some of the more outward facing and the administration facing folks, they're going to probably still need to be more engaged and in person. But from a hiring manager's perspective, this this changes it, especially if you're in a state that permits out of state people to work in that institution. 
I mean, think about it. I mean, your job pool just went up. Huge. Dramatically. Yeah. It's huge. Now I don't have to worry about, oh, who do I have in, you know, Central Florida? Exactly. I got the whole, I got the whole United States that I can deal with. Exactly. And maybe even, you know, picking in some of, um, you know, international folks. Exactly. And for, for some tech transfer offices, maybe in places where, you know, people, you know, aren't really thinking that they'd ever want to live, you know, if they can stay where they're currently living, you know, that's a great benefit to that tech transfer office because hiring was probably very difficult prior to the pandemic to try and get somebody to, to live in, in certain states versus now you have, like yep. you said, you've broadened your pool of people who are more likely to be interested in those positions. Yep. No. And that's, I, I think that's especially true for, um, especially some of like the Midwest. I mean, you know, North Dakota, I exactly. Mean, you know, nothing against North Dakota, but I mean, years ago, it used to be that there was always positions open in some of these harder to reach destinations, right? I mean, you know, LA doesn't have problems finding people, you know, New York doesn't have trouble really finding people. But boy, some of these other places like smaller schools and regional schools that are in, you know, a little bit more rural areas or, um, you know, a little bit further, you know, flyover country of the United definitely, States. Right? Definitely. It, it's definitely, I'm, I'm sure this has helped with those regards. I, I would think so. And, you know, one of the things I found interesting about the survey and actually made me, you know, quite pleased to see is a female patent attorney. You know, when you look at the combined data for all the participating mm-hmm. institutions, the median salary for in-house counsel positions was 17% higher for women than it was for men. Um, yeah. I wish you whatever is happening there, you could get it to happen in law firms because it's still a problem. <laughs> but I was really impressed to see that finding. Um, but but the counterpart for that was um, that men were still being paid more than women and 61% of leadership positions were being held by men, which was pretty discouraging. And, you know, going back to my my law firm example, something that we see quite regularly in law firms. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, John, those findings say about gender and hiring in tech transfer? Yeah, well, and I would say, you know, overall. I mean, when you look at the total number of respondents, 53% were female. Yeah. All right. So there is, a, there is a slight tipping of the edge and that has increased from our, our previous surveys, right? Um, you know, I think there's work to be done, you know, obviously when it comes to leadership, um, and not just in a, uh, you know, from the, the, you know, whether it's the gender, but I think, you know, there's a, a definitely a DEI component to this where, and, and I think we see it, right? I mean, first off, the 2017 survey, that percentage was was higher for men, right? So it's actually starting to go down a little bit. And we're seeing women starting to come up into some of those roles, right? Um, so I think that's a positive step in the right direction. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone could do better, right? I mean, parity would be great, right? Um, but I, I, you know, one thing that would be really interesting to see and 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 then we're kind of toying with these ideas of, you know, well, how, how can we track this a little bit better for some of these other positions? Right. You know, and especially when we talk about half of these folks are brand new within the last three years, what does that makeup look like? Right. I I have a, I have a suspicion, you know, my, my, my hunch would be that number one, it's more diverse, both gender and uh, ethnicity. Um, and I, I think that that's going to continue. That trend is going to keep going. And it's, again, if now everyone is hybrid or again, 90% of the people have an opportunity to be hybrid. I think it just, my pool is bigger. And if the, you know, it just, in, it encourages the professional, the, the autumn professional to look other places. Absolutely. You, know, you may not think you would have gotten a job in North Dakota, you know, but 
you know, you look at some of these, you know, traditional, you know, institutions where, you know, maybe it was like you know, heavily, you know, male dominant or, or, or white male dominant in these leadership positions. Uh, I think that's changing. And I, I think it's going to start moving in the right direction. And this is just another, you know, way to sort of, I don't know, better understand that and, and help promote that by showing people where this is going and how they can benefit from it. So I, I think it's going to go in the right direction. It's just, you know, like everything probably takes a little bit of time. Yeah, definitely. I also think it speaks um, for the need for the auto mentoring committee as well. You know, going back to that yeah. earlier statistics about almost half uh, of yeah. the individuals in their current positions have been there for three years or less. I think it, yeah. it, it really highlights the, the need of the important work that that committee does and, and why it's going to be very important for that committee going forward because those individuals are going to definitely need mentoring. So hopefully listeners who uh, uh, are listening to this episode uh, will uh, participate both as uh, mentors and mentees in that program because yep. that, it's going to be critical that we have participants on both sides. And, and the same goes for the education. Exactly. Side, right? Exactly. You know, you're, we have such an influx of new people. Right. I think we take for granted some of the, the courses that we've all taken. If you've been in tech transfer for any number of years, you know, you kind of forget about the whole basics course and, and some of those things. But I think maybe it's time to, you know, maybe even look a little bit closer at the education opportunities Absolutely. To, to help bring, again, educate and bring folks up and, and, and help, you know, show them what's out there in tech transfer. Definitely. So, John, as the podcast comes to a close, how do you think tech transfer professionals and offices effectively can leverage the data from this salary survey to help them make informed decisions regarding compensation as well as career development strategies? Well, I mean, certainly, and I will say, you know, look, this, this survey was not without, uh, you know, some stress, okay? Um, you know, there was some folks that were a bit concerned. I mean, there's some, a big change here. Number one, the survey is no longer free. Okay. You have to pay to get access to the database to, to be able to print the reports. Um, it's not, you know, even if you filled it out, you still have to do it. Now it's very low. It's a low, low, low cost to, to get it. So I don't think it's a huge barrier to entry. Um, but it's changed slightly in that sense. And this did cause some consternation for a few institutions and directors. Um, you know, again, I know, you, you know what happens when this survey comes out, especially if people get it and they realize, oh, I'm in the fifth percentile. I'm going to head up to my boss and say, I want to, I want to raise. And this is the comp, this is the complaint I've heard since 1999, which is the survey comes out and then there's a, a trail of people beaten, you know, beaten down the door of the director, or the VP saying, well, I'm underpaid. I need more. I should get, you know, I need a raise. And, you know, I can understand the stress that, that that can cause to folks. I mean, budgets are still king. I mean, money just doesn't magically appear just because the survey says that everyone should be paid more. Um, you know, so I understand that, that, you know, there are some rough patches that come with this, but I think it's so worth it. I mean, this is the type of reflection that's needed for, you know, when you talk about developing your career. Like, how do you convince uh, a PhD or a postdoc that they would be great in tech transfer. They need to see that there's a career path. They need exactly. to see that both that there's an, a, a way up and forward, but also that they can make a real living, right? You know, and and again, I I'm suspecting that if we were to look at the the age, the median age, which is not something that we track, um, you would see we're we're trending on the younger side now, and so these are up and coming professionals 
And I think it's fully within their, their rights. They should know what they're getting into. You know, this shouldn't be some sort of like hidden behind the, the curtain, uh, you know, type of activity where nobody really knows and you don't communicate. This gives the power to both the professional and quite frankly, it gives the power to the institution to attract and retain the talent that drives the whole engine. I mean, that's really what we get down to. The staff, the, the tech transfer professional, you know, you could argue, well, it's the faculty that drive the innovation. I don't doubt that. But it's it's the getting the innovation out of the university and into the hands of the industry and the public. That's where tech transfer comes in. And if your professionals aren't, you know, being educated, you know, getting mentored, and understanding that there's a career path here and that they know what they can expect and have meaningful data that they can refer back to and identify and say, Oh, okay, great. You know, I see great opportunity in the Northeast. I see opportunity out West. My years of experience, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's a, that's, that's an empowering thing. I think it's a really important aspect of this. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't mind, I don't mind causing a little bit of, trouble every now and then and i, I like to <laughs> i like to sort of stir it up a you little like to bit. stir the pot a bit a little bit you know and this is this is a tool for doing that you know you can't do that with the licensing survey i mean you can do a little bit and we you know we changed some things we, we got rid of state university systems where we're, we're, we're adjusting that that had its own kind of bumpy roads but with this this is for us this is for the individuals and it is for the offices they, they, they there is huge benefit to you you know participating and using you know, if I could maybe make one or two little comments, right? I would like to see more. We had more institutions respond in 2017. We had the same number of respondents. So we went down in institutions. And why do you think you that know, was? Do you have any idea? Um, not that I would want to say on the podcast anyway. But <laughs> oh, come on. No, you just think, said you like to stir the pot. <laughs> well, I think truthfully, I think a lot of the larger institutions that are missing, like you can, and that's one other thing, you can go on the, the survey and see who participated. To me, looking at that list, it was a lot of the smaller and mid-sized offices and institutions. Number one, I think that they were probably hurt more by the loss of staff. Probably. And they're trying to backfill, yeah. you know, whereas larger offices, they had a little bit more in the tank, let's say, and they were able to sort of ride this storm out, right? If you have an office of 20, 30 people and you're funded really well and you got huge royalties coming in, it wasn't as detrimental as, as what I think some of the smaller and mid-sized uh, offices felt, which is like when you have five people and that's your whole office and three of them leave, that's, that's boy, a, the pain there the is... The pain is huge. Yeah. It's huge. You may not you even recover. Yeah. And this this is it. And if you don't have a tool like this to be able to attract people, I mean, that was the number one thing I kept hearing. John, how am I going to get somebody when all I have is 2017 comp data? Nobody wants to. You can't make a job offer to someone on data that's five years old after the entire world was turned on its ear from the pandemic. Look at how much has changed. You have got to have some up-to-date salaries that people can chew on and so i do think like some of the larger institutions didn't participate maybe because you know they didn't want to have the discussion maybe they didn't feel it was important uh enough for them but the but the real uh, the people that contacted me the most were smaller offices saying like i'm dying i need people and i need to have a salary 
And so that was really a lot. I mean, that was, it was the driving force. I mean, I was pushing, you can, you know, <laughs> I feel bad for Steve. And, and I want to give a shout out to Jordana, uh, BZ Foster, right? She was my handler in all of this. She made all of this happen. You know, I mean, I'm just the guy out here causing trouble and, and poking holes and things. Jordana made sure that this went down properly, organized with the vendors, made sure that the database was up, made sure that the data was proper, you know? So, that buy-in from Autumn it was critical, and it's really important. And so, um, you know, I don't want everyone. I want I want more people to participate. You know, I want more institutions to come in. I want to see some of them bigger institutions that are, uh, you know, the largest employers in our group. You know, because and if we could get a fifty-seven percent response rate on the salary survey, man, that data would be great. And I, I, I mean. Some of this was just so incredible. Like who in a million years would have thought half of these folks? I know. It's I, I, it just, I don't amazing. even know an industry. It, it, it blows me away. So, no, I think, um, you know, I think there's, there's definitely room for improvement. I can't wait for the next cycle to come out. I think a lot of people, I think what's really going to happen is some of the institutions that didn't participate are going to be calling up their friends and being like, can I get a login for this? Thing? Like, maybe I can get a little, can I get a preview? And they're going to realize just how valuable it is. And then next year they're going to participate, participate and then they're going to do the license. Now there's nothing to say that they can't purchase the license and get that data, but you are missing some of some notable names. I'll say. And just Not real, pointing any fingers. Okay. We, we won't make you stir the pot that much. But um, John, can you tell us, you've mentioned that there is a cost associated with uh, the salary survey. Can you share with us what that cost is? It's $100. Okay. Okay. Thank so, you. So, I mean, you know, uh, you know, that's not, it's not a huge amount. It's not astronomical. It's $100. Um, it's helping defray the cost because the, the really the expense that we incurred this year to implement the new database and work with the outside vendor to develop it all, codify it, put it all out there and then get these reports back. You know, there was some upfront there, right? Sure. And most, most salary surveys we see are um, subscri subscription based. So now I pushed against it. This is one of those things that I didn't necessarily agree with. And, you know, I had a lot of conversations with, um, Steve and the board about, you know, my feelings. Cause again, I feel like this is for us, by us, we should give this out for free and that's the power with the people kind of thing. But I understand it and I'm, I'm, I'm with it. So, you know, a hundred bucks, most offices can come up with it. And I think most people would, would agree that, you know, this is the, the value of it is worth a hundred dollars, especially if you don't, if you're missing two or three people in your office and this gives you the tool to get those people in and, you know, relieve some pressure on, on the offices. So, yeah. So John, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's always a pleasure having you on and thank you so much for your continued dedication, not only to the salary survey, but to the licensing survey. You've been working on this, like you said, since 1999, and I can't think of a better person to uh, be leading the charge on these. So thank you again. No, thank you. And thank you for letting uh, me spend some of your time and, and, and share with this with everyone, because I, I really do love this. And I think it's important for everyone. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I really appreciate your time. So thank you, Lisa. That brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you found our discussion on the Autumn Salary Survey informative and valuable for your career in tech transfer. A special thank you to our guest, John Miner, for sharing his expertise and insights with us. For those interested in exploring the Autumn Salary Survey, it's available on the Autumn website. 
Be sure to check it out. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. 